Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 233 of David Scatchard. How are you, David? Good, brother. How are you doing? Mate, we are tip-top. It is the only way to be. Now, going through your resume, mate, let's paint the picture. 659 games, 14 years as a pro in the NHL, peak performance coach, international speaker, author-to-be. Mate, were you always a superstar? Did you just come out of the womb and just go, I'm going to dominate, I'm going to be the best in the world? (laughs) Well, I had a pretty awesome dad that really allowed me to believe that, like, anything was possible. And even though he didn't have much of a background, he worked in the coal mines in Canada and he was a hardworking guy and he was a farmer. Uh, he started off as a PE teacher at one point and went into the coal mining, but um, he was just the most positive guy ever. And he was the best role model for a kid ever. And he just always believed in me and told me I could do it. I just got to like put in the work and like outwork everybody and out hustle everybody and be more committed to making it than anybody else. And then I'd give myself a better opportunity to win. And I was lucky enough to come from this small town in Canada that was this coal mining and pulp mill town, freezing town on the prairies. It was just snow all the time and just nothing to do. All, everything was frozen. And that's how we started skating when we we're like three years old. And, um, you know, we had the Edmonton Oilers who were this dynasty that won like four or five Stanley Cups in a row with Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, as everybody knows. And um, they were who I watched. So I had amazing... Um, role models to to emulate and to see their work ethic and that kind of thing and then fast forward many many years I had Mark Messier as my own captain of my team in Vancouver and then I had Wayne Gretzky as my coach with the Phoenix Coyotes so it's kind of crazy how that manifested itself and uh you know a kid that was so skinny I had to run around in the shower to get wet uh somehow (laughs) figured out a way to build a body that could perform at the highest league in the world and uh, be one of the lucky 700 people on the planet that gets to do that job. So I'm just grateful. I had a great run and I truly believe that, uh, you know, that was only the beginning. It's taken me a decade to realize that the the work that I'm doing now is really, really the reason why I'm here on this earth is to, to give back and to serve because I got blessed so much up front and then kind of having the health and everything taken away from me after my fifth concussion. I'm sure we'll talk about all that. But um, when I had to rebuild and start from scratch, uh, I literally had to learn how to create a new identity of myself that wasn't a, a professional athlete and wasn't as strong or as healthy as I was when I was a a pro athlete and I had to kind of rebuild this whole guy into this other thing. And that's kind of what got me on this journey is I'm like, well, if I can do it for myself and become elite in another category of life in the peak performance and and coaching business, what else? Like, I mean, there's a pattern to that success. So why don't I just share that with everybody? And, and that's how we came up with the challenges. I just saw people suffering through COVID And then God's like talking to me and he's like, are you going to do something? Like, you got to help these people. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. And he's like, do the thing that you do with all your one-on-one clients and just do it with the public and do it for free. I'm like, what? (laughs) So 
you know, I know I'm jumping way ahead, but I, I, I just felt like I had to do it and I didn't even really know how to do it. And I take in marketing training and sales training and, and I have like, you know, a good work ethic, but I was like literally the first time we did this challenge uh, four challenges ago, I was building it as I was going. So I was building it, I was filming it live and building it in between days and it was a massive success and we helped thousands of people. And then I'm like, holy smokes, this feels so amazing. And then uh, it kind of turned into a business because people are like, hey, how do we keep doing stuff with you? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, I'll create some group programs and stuff. So uh, I wasn't only working with pro athletes or entrepreneurs or, or celebrities or any of that stuff anymore. I was working with uh, anybody that that was raising their hand and uh, and I was working with group settings. So it was pretty amazing. And I'm just so grateful that I found something on the second phase of my life that I just love and that I'm passionate about. And um, the fact that it's a win, 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 right? It's a win for the person I'm helping. It's a win for all those people around them. And then I get to win because I get a fulfillment of it and it's turned into a nice business. So um, I'm just yeah, grateful. I absolutely love that. And and guys, we will talk about the free challenge towards the end. So stick around because uh, yeah, Dave's got a link for us uh, that you can go and check out and it starts very soon. But I want to get back to obviously talking a little bit about your dad being such a big role model. Um, and a lot of PE teachers do listen to this. So was I think PE teachers and teachers in general have a way to motivate and they can talk to anybody and they can influence people in such a positive way. Did your dad play ice hockey or was it just because, you know, you, you just, yeah. that was all you could really do in Canada. Cause I know, I couldn't imagine how cold it gets, mate. I, I'm just in Australia. We, I put a jumper on, I'm a bit cold, you know what I mean? But that your cold is next level. So a um, couple of parts of that question was, was your, was your dad, like, was he an ice hockey player or just because there was nothing else to do? He motivated you and ice hockey was what you did. You know what? My dad, um, I'm going to cry because he passed away a couple of years ago and he's my like Sorry best friend, but, um, you know, he, uh, he just was an incredible teacher that I believe was born with a gift to understand strategy and then give kids the confidence to execute them. And, uh, you know, he never played at any high level or anything, but he'd read every, every coaching book he could get his hands on. He'd watch the games. He'd make notes on the pros. Like, I was in the NHL and I was having NHL coaches tell me stuff that my dad who never played at any high level told me I'd be in India working with monks and they'd say things that my dad had like taught me. And then I'd be with Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins would say something. And I was just like, Holy smokes. Like it's so crazy that my little dad from, you know, the middle of nowhere had this awareness and this understanding about sort of how life works and how energy works and how positivity works and, and belief and he just instilled that in me. And, you know, he's a really, he was a little tough. Like, um, you know, we, we had a really high standard to live to, but he was also fair. So, you know, I've tried to find a middle ground with that, with my kids and my family, but, um, you know, my dad was amazing and I could never have made it without, without um, him. And he coached me every single year of my, my career as a kid, all the way up, except for one year. And, um, I just can't believe he knew the stuff that he knew. Like he must've been just getting it delivered to him divinely or something. Cause like, I was, I swear to you, I was working with a grandmaster in China. The grandmaster says something that my dad says, I'm in India with the monks. I'm in Brazil with the shaman. I'm in with Tony Robbins. 
work with all these weirdos and they're saying the same stuff as my dad. And it's like hilarious. So I'm like, man, that's amazing that he somehow knew these things and, uh, and he would share them with me. And, and I was like a, a weird kid. Like I had a photographic memory. Um, so I really like when I, when I'd latch onto a concept or something, I'd really like go deep with it and I process it and I think about it and I build philosophies and beliefs around it. And then when my injuries happened after my fifth concussion, the, the, the crazy thing was, it was like, that was all taken away. I had no memory, like zero memory. And I was taking Alzheimer's medicine. I was just like a disaster. I, I slurred my speech. I couldn't walk properly. Uh, my, my thought process was super delayed. So I'm with all these brain doctors at the Mayo Clinic and stuff. And they're like, three years I was there two or three days a week and at the end they're like Dave we've kind of done everything we can for you bud like you're just gonna be have disabilities and I was like 35 or 36 years old and I'm like what <laughs> I'm like how am I gonna go live the rest of my life like I, I felt like a waste of skin I felt like a burden I was a bad I felt like a bad dad a bad husband because I just couldn't I couldn't teach my kids how to ride a bike because I couldn't run after them and catch the bike I couldn't push them on a swing set without throwing up like any movement or loud sounds or them crying or screaming. Like I just have to leave. And I just felt like, like I was, I was a, a, a pain to my wife and to everyone around me. And I just really kind of went into hiding for like three years and I suffered like deeply. Like I, I, I'd lost my identity. I was no longer a hockey player, which is the, which is, painful enough but then the fact that nothing works on your body or your brain and you have a feeling like you have a spike behind your eyeballs every day all day never goes away then I'd have a few drinks maybe that drinks take it away for an hour or two and then I would come back and you know like all these weird things and uh I honestly never knew if I was going to ever get out of that hole that I was in and miracle after miracle started to happen in my life and and I just went outside the normal medical realm and I did every alternative healing and therapy and chiropractor and acupuncture and brain therapy and cognitive therapy and woo woo monks and shaman and grandmasters and Tony and all. Like, I literally, I spent uh, over $700,000 of my own money just learning from like whoever I could learn from to try to figure out this, how, how to heal and how to get some energy moving back through my body because everything was just completely locked down. It was just like, like nothing, just nothing worked. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride. And I didn't know why God was punishing me because I, I saw God. So I'm like, why are you punishing me? Like, you know, during my near death experience. And I'm like, why did you abandon me? And um, ultimately, once I finally broke through and figured it out, um, God came to me and said, I'm sorry that I had to make you suffer that much, but all those people that you're going to be helping moving forward are going to be coming from all different areas of life. And you needed to understand that darkness because some people are going to be coming to you from, from that space. And I was like, yeah, well, oh, yeah, that, that, makes, makes sense. that makes sense. You can make sense now. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you can, you can relate to, you know, people that have suffered, struggled and gone through so many different things. And, um, Ice hockey is one of the most ferocious, fast-paced, high-intensity and aggressive sports I've ever seen. So um, obviously five concussions and the last one was pretty physical. Um, 
besides that, do you, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but were any other it's like long of uh, lasting effects on your body? Because some of those hits and um, the, the high intensity of the game, uh, I can imagine that, you know, it takes a toll after a while. Uh, I, I just finished my book and uh, one of the pages, I just thought I'd make notes on like everything that I've like injured on my body. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll, yeah, 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 exactly. So I'll run through it really quick, but uh, you know, uh, these are just things that I remember. There's some, some things that I don't, but I had, I'll start from the top down. So I've had over 120 stitches in my face. I've had my front four teeth knocked out. I broke my nose 12 times. I had five concussions. I broke my right collarbone. Uh, I did had two surgeries on my shoulder. I dislocated my shoulder four times. I had a bank heart repair on my shoulder. I had biceps tendon reattached in my right arm. I had bone chips removed from my right elbow. I broke six ribs. I had hip surgery. I've had both ACLs, actually, sorry, MCLs on my legs. I have four heel surgeries and broke in my forearm, my knuckles, my thumb, and my feet. And like, that's just kind of, I know there's more, but like, I just, I don't hey. talk about that stuff anymore, but. <laughs> how did you play, how did you play for 14 years? Like just um, of that 14 years, like how much were you injured? Like in the rehab, I suppose, you, that would have been a long time with some of those injuries. Almost, almost every game out of those 659 games something was like hurt you just play and the bad ones like the grade three mcl tears and stuff your leg doesn't really work so that you gotta like stop then but like i played with broken ribs i played without my teeth i played broken nose i remember one game i got elbowed in my nose and broke my nose so bad i was playing in la and wayne used to play with the kings and there's all these like celebrities in the crowd and it was like a really fun game. And I'm like, I go into the training room and they're like, Oh, good news. The, the doctor here's a plastic surgeon. So like, he'll just straighten your nose. So he sticks, he's like sticks up my nose and like oh. breaks my nose back. Blood's just gushing everywhere. Right. And then he's like, all right, go get showered up and we'll put some stuff in your nose. I'm like, no man, like I'm going out. Like we're in a tie game. I'm, I'm going to go get the game winner. And the doc's like, Dave, you don't got to go like, you know, and I'm like, no, no, I'm like, put some tampons up there or whatever, like, let's go. So he cuts these little cotton things, sticks them up my nose. I'm walking out to the rink. I'm all excited to join back in the game and it just bursts out like I sneeze or something and shit just goes everywhere, pardon my language. So I gotta go back to the doctor. He sticks more stuff in there, puts Vaseline up there, everything. And then I go back on the bench and Gratzel looks at me. When Gratzel looks at me, he's like, dude, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Like, let's go. And my eyes are starting to swell shut and there's just like little slits. They're getting black. <laughs> and Wayne looks at me and he's shaking his head and he's like, all right, let's see if you can go. So he put me out there and there's like eight minutes left to go in the game. And I ended up uh, scoring the game winner. I just had a feeling that was going to happen. And, you know, I helped my team win the game and, and Wayne gave me a, a great shout out after, after the game and called me a warrior and stuff like that. But, you know, that's just, there's something about being a hockey player where it's like they're tough and you just learn to not even feel the pain. And um, to be honest, part of the work that I do now with people is to allow them to feel everything. 
So it's interesting because as an athlete, I would play through broken bones and, and colds and flus and like, whatever, you never, you never ever said you were sick or hurt. Like somebody might come take your job. You're going to bring somebody up. Like you never know. So you just don't tell anybody. And, uh, it was, it kind of served a purpose, but it also kind of turned off some of the best pieces of me, the sensitive guy, the, the uh, emotional guy, the the honest, the authentic, the the vulnerable. So when I wasn't healing for three years, I kind of had this breakthrough where I realized that I was still covered up with all this armor and all this toughness. And like, nobody was taking my job anymore. Nobody was going to send me to the minors. Nobody was going to bench me. Nobody's going to chastise me if I showed weakness, right? Like in the league, you just never shared it. So some of it was like great because I could get through anything and I could do that, but other parts of it just totally killed um, the, some of the life blood of me and who I am and the, and the best parts about me. So I had to remove all that armor. And then the interesting thing was, that was one of my miracles is after I moved all the armor and all the masks and I just exposed my soul again for the first time in like 30 years, I just got blasted with like pure grace and pure love and pure healing. And that's when I saw God again and I kind of all made sense. So these are things that I teach and uh, it sounds crazy because some of the armor is good. Like this is the, this is the crazy part is I went from like this warrior to like a monk where I'd meditate for three or four hours a day and be floating around in the clouds and like, not like not want to be here on this earth because it was painful, but I could feel like I was healing up there. And then Tony Robbins called me out and he's like, you're like a monk in your cave. He's like, you're not helping anybody. He's like, go help somebody. Like, come back here and help somebody. And, and he's like, you're waiting for yourself to heal and to get your LLC and to get your coaching certification and to get this and to get that. He's like, it's just an excuse. Like, he's like, start helping people. You could help people today. So he kind of made me feel guilty. <laughs> And then I realized that not all the armor was bad, that I could go back and take some of the strengths of that armor, like the discipline and the focus and the commitment level. Like those are good, that's good armor, but the armor that turns off the feelings is not good armor. And it really disconnects you from all of some of the best things that are floating around all around us all the time. Yeah. And I, I think that we all have an armor and I, I will talk more about the work you're doing now, Dave. And um, one thing I'm really interested in is uh, around the world, obviously concussion in all sports is something that's becoming more prevalent and people are paying a lot more attention to because of the issues and things like that. So obviously when you started out your career to probably now, have you noticed a difference? Because, um, you know, the stigma around ice hockey is that you, you're men, you're tough, you go out there, you get on with it, you don't complain and you do that. But like you said before, some of those armors, you know, being vulnerable, showing, you know, empathy, a little bit of kindness to yourself and others, these are very important skills. So do you think uh, the tough, robust NHL is changing or has changed since, you know, you started out playing to, you know, now, or is it just a sport that that's how it is and we get on with it? Um, it's a great question. It's definitely less physical and more fast now, but there's still a stigma where you don't show pain or you don't whine or complain, or you don't, you, you're not tired. Like you're not sick. You're not hurt. Like you don't do that. But one thing that has changed is like the players kind of like seem to be having 
more fun and and like they realize that they're all in this together and that they're all making a lot of money together and like it i see guys tapping like pads before the game on the other side of the rink like hey buddy have a good game like to their friends on the other teams and stuff like if i did that when i played like you'd get you'd come back to the bench and are like hey no friends out there today right like they're like you know we're here to kill these guys not to like you know be buddy buddy with them I had to fight a lot. So like, I kind of had to have a little chip on my shoulder um, and not like, or pretend not to like a lot of people because that was one of my roles is I had to protect my teammates. So I couldn't be like best friends with everybody on the other team and not do anything if they're taking advantage. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you're right. Like, I think that there is a little bit, a little bit of a shift, but I still think it's the toughest. uh, I mean, football players are tough, but they only play like 16 games a year. We play like 82 games a year, nine exhibition games, and then like 20 Stanley Cup playoff games. If you if you if you win pretty quickly, you, you can play even more than that. So that's like 130 something games a year if you do the math. Like on a sport that's very physical. So um, those guys are warriors to get through a whole year and not get hurt. It's really tough. Like these guys that have played like like these Ironman streaks. Like some guys have played like six or seven years without missing a game. Like I don't even know how that's freaking possible. Cause it's crazy. I mean, I was <laughs> I was banged up every game and like, you know, they had to drag me off the edge if I wasn't gonna play. But uh man, yeah, it's it's a tough sport. It, it's I have I'm so honored that I got to be part of that um alumni group and those types of people. Cause the hockey guys, like you ask a lot of reporters or anything and I'm not just saying this because I'm a hockey player but even the trainers at the gyms and stuff they're like you hockey guys are our favorite dudes like you guys just like work hard you're good people and then you just like there's no drama it's just like what you see is what you get most of the guys are pretty awesome dudes yeah and 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 I do you can see that you can see you know I I love what you said about the camaraderie and you know that um, I think that's a really important thing and hopefully it comes more into sport that you know you're playing out there but afterwards you're very similar interests you should be able to connect share um, and share what you've done out there together so I love that now one thing I always like talking to ex-superstars about that that transition so going from hockey player because that was your identity I know you've mentioned this a little bit before Dave but um, what was the biggest factor in figuring out your new identity? Because when you, I know so many sports stars around the world, they get lost um, and they lose that identity, what they've known their whole life. And then they've just sort of thrown into the uh, abyss. So how, how did you really overcome that? I know you said, obviously it wasn't the nicest way to go of concussion, everything went on, but what were some of the biggest factors that allowed you to move on and now find a new sort of purpose? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's not just athletes. I think when anybody loses their identity, there's a real Good weird point. thing that happens because people will do anything to stay in alignment with their their identity. If you're the good guy or you're the health guy, chances are your whole life you're going to be the good guy and the health guy because that's who you believe that you are. But if I don't let you be healthy and I don't let you be the good guy and now you got to go be something else, you're like, I don't want to be anything else. I like my healthy guy. I like my good guy. Right. So imagine being an athlete and you know, that's all you've done since you're a little boy and that's all you've dreamed of. And that's the only thought thing you've ever thought of. Like, yeah, I I was a smart kid and I want to do sports medicine or sports psychology, but like, that was like only as like a way, way, way backup plan. Like if hockey didn't work out, like I was always planning on being a hockey player and 
making enough money to not have to work anymore and stuff. And that's great. I did that for a couple of years, but it's like, then what? Like, I don't care. I know guys that have a hundred million bucks in the bank right now. And I coach them because they don't know what to do with their life. Like they still have a lot of life to live. They're young men. You know, imagine being 40 years old and you've reached the pinnacle of everything that you ever dreamed you could do. And then what? Like, you're like, well, I'll golf a lot. So you golf a few days a week and then you're like, okay, now what? Like, that's fun, but I don't like, I don't want to do it seven days a week and I'm kind of bored. So truthfully for anybody out there that you don't have to be an athlete, but if you're going through transition or you've lost your identity, for me, it was finding and building a winnable game plan and schedule that would allow me to find some sort of habits and routines that could give me some sort of little wins and little progress where I could start to work towards some sort of a purpose or a compelling future. When I didn't have a routine, it didn't matter if you slept in till 10 or got up at four or in the morning, like it didn't matter. Cause like you had nothing going on. So like there was nothing, there's no urgency. There was no hunger. There was no passion because you don't have to have it. There's no need for it. You got the money, you got the kids, you got the wife, you got everything you want. So like, why, why, why do you need to be in a rush to do anything? And there's just zero energy in that. It's flat. It's like, it's kind of like a slow death in a way. So in the NHL, we knew what time breakfast was. We knew what time lunch was. We knew what time practice was. We knew when to be at the rink. We knew what time the plane was leaving. We knew where we were playing, where were we going, who was our coaches. We, it was all done for us. So our routine was beautiful. So you could be successful because everything is laid out for you. You're, you don't have to worry about what you're eating. It's just like right there for you. It's perfect. So when you're on your own, you're like, well, shoot, I've been disciplined for like so many years. I'm just going to like let myself go a little bit and have some fun. And you just feel like a slob and it's gross. Like it's fun for about like a week or two and you're like, oh man, but some guys never get back. I have some friends that are just like huge and it's like, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> like you've only been retired a few years and you're like 300 pounds. <laughs> so, so routine, uh, habits, compelling future, I think all in progress and, uh, and, I think all those things stacked together uh, can present a really nice uh, place to shoot for. And then I think you'll find your purpose once you get in some sort of a rhythm. You're like, hey, I kind of like this. Like, this feels good to me. That's kind of where purpose comes from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I couldn't agree more. And I think if anyone is struggling out there, it doesn't, you don't have to be a professional superstar like yourself, Dave, but everybody in life. And I think it's, there's a lot of evidence about winning the morning. Do you know what I mean? Having a fantastic morning routine because then you've succeeded. You've won something for the day and the rest of the day flows on. So I really love that. So let's people are listening Dave. They want to know more, mate, the free challenge. Uh, can you explain a little bit about it? Um, and as you said, it's open to everybody, isn't it? You don't have to be some of hundred million dollars in the bank and what's your purpose or um, a big CEO. It is for everybody. It's for absolutely every single person on this earth. And when I did have my near death experience and I asked God, what do you want me to do when I came back? And the message to me was, I want you to love everyone. Like they're your brother or your sister. <laughs> that was, that was it. I want you to take this light and this love and this grace and this unconditional causeless joy that you feel. And I just want you to share that with everybody and love them like they're your brother or your sister. And I'm like, that's it. You don't want me to sell all my stuff and go do a mission trip. Like I didn't even, I didn't go to church. I didn't know anything about God. Like, and all of a sudden I'm talking about it. It's hilarious. 
but he picked me because I'm kind of a rare case. If, if God can find me, he can find all of us. And I was, um, you know, I guess it's funny because I never planned on my teaching uh, going anywhere this way with spirituality, but it's just so fun for me to talk about that people have really gotten excited about it. It's just been a sort of a byproduct of the actual coaching. And, and you know, this isn't any kind of spirituality course. It's just basically, I truly believe that we've all had these moments in time that we were a champion. And it might be the best game you ever played in a sport. It might be the most fun you ever had with your friends where you're laughing hysterically and you were free. It might be a time when you were painting or drawing and you just lost track of time. Like those are all magical moments where almost time sort of warps or bends or you're in the zone and something magical is happening. That's not an anomaly. That's actually how it's supposed to be all the time. But we've gotten programmed by society and rules and regulations on how to be and how to act and what to do and what to say and what to eat. And it's, it's awful what has happened because nobody has explored themselves anymore or what's all around us are waiting for us to discover anymore. So we've all kind of started to play this smaller, lower vibrational game. So I'm kind of like pulling the covers back on that and maybe taking a page out of my dad's book and being like, no, no, no. Like, that's not even it. There's a whole nother level that's waiting for you to play in. And I call it champion. I call it awakened. I call it the big life. And it's this level of living that is so powerful that you do have joy for no reason. And you do laugh because you're happy. You, you do say what's on your mind. You are open. You are love. You are grace. You are ecstasy. It's, and I know it sounds kind of woo woo, but it's not, it's real. And when you can tap into those best parts of yourself that have been kind of muted or dulled or jaded over time, then you get to start to live back in that other higher dimension. You're like, whoa, yeah, this is more like it. It's like manifestation, serendipity, like coincidences. Like when you start to play in that space, things start to click. Money starts to come. Relationships are easy. They're fun. You're designing your life instead of being a slave to it. That's everything that I teach over seven days and I go deep. I don't pull any punches. Like I said, I spent all that money learning from all these best people. And I just like took all their best stuff and ran it through my life and my co my hockey career, my coaching career. And I've created these philosophies that are like very, very uh, similar to these things that I've learned all over the place. And I've sort of woven them all together into this really cool course and it's free and there's no expectations. It's like, hey, if you want to come, come, cool. And if you don't, it's okay. Like Love it. I'm doing what I'm called to do and there's no excuse. Like if you're struggling in your life or you want to go make another million bucks, there's something in here that'll, that'll help you do both of those things. I get, I get the highest of the high where people are trying to up level and get some more juice and go to the highest level, make another million or 10 million. And then I've got the lowest level. They're like, dude, I just need something like get me out of this pit that I'm in. I feel like I'm suffocating down here. And that's why God put me down in the pit and up at the top so that I could talk to both, both groups. So I've made it out of the pit. Thank you, God. And I've like reworked my way back up to champion in, in another space, another business with coaching. And, um, you know, now I'm just sharing the journey and it's pretty wild. It's our success has been amazing and we've impacted over 10,000 people so far. And I think we're going to have 5,000 people in this challenge. So, um, 
you know, you're going to be one of a bunch of cool people, like a lot of cool peers, even just you could you could join the the challenge and just hang out in the Facebook group and look at how many amazing souls are in there that are all trying to figure it out. And they're just like you. And we only have positivity in the group and good energy. And uh, it's it's magical. We have I think we have four thousand five hundred people in there today. And uh, it's it's pretty special. So I welcome anybody any beliefs, any shapes, sizes, colors, orientations, it doesn't matter. You're all welcome. We accept everyone and love everyone like they're a brother or sister. And that's like, you know, that's my mission. So I want everybody to come. It's going to be fun. Awesome. You know? I love that as well. And it's really about surrounding yourself with like-minded people, finding that tribe that works for you. And um, it doesn't matter where you are around the world. I think if your energy is contagious and so is fun and you need to have that every part of the day. And it sounds exactly like that course. So guys, if you go to show notes, uh, episode number 233, I'll have a link in there that you can go and join up, join the Facebook group and get a part of it. Now, Dave, before I let you go, mate, um, I've just got a couple of little questions I like to fire up my guests at the end. And one of them is if you could look back from everything you've done from your career, coaching concussions life kids wife everything mate if you could go back to 18 year old dave and give yourself one bit of advice from everything you've learned what would that be uh don't worry you're being taken care of all the time it's perfect just the way that it is i used to stress so much i get ulcers and i like really worried a lot and like i was always on pins and needles and i never felt secure in my job and it's part of being a pro i think but it took away from some of the magic that was happening around me because i was so serious and i was so focused and i was so determined not to like lose my spot in the lineup and you know there was times when it was just innocent fun that I could have been having. And I'm like, ah, no, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to make sure I go to bed at 10 o'clock and get my rest and wake up at the right time. <laughs> like I was very superstitious and stuff. And I just wish I would have just had, had more fun while I was on this amazing journey. It was, it's amazing to be a pro. <laughs> Oh, I could imagine, mate. And I, I think like that is exactly what you said, that if you're not having fun in any part of your life, then you probably need to stop. And and I think the times now, particularly after COVID and uh, the pandemic we've all gone through, that you need to find fun in every aspect of your life. And I think that's great advice there, mate. Now, final question for you. Uh, as a enjoyer of all sports, Wayne Gretzky is arguably the great one of the greatest ever players of any sport. Um, what was he like as a coach? Because I know he's obviously he's playing uh, career is very decorated but not so much we don't hear so much about his coaching so how was that and I know you probably don't want to say anything too bad but what was he like as a coach mate <laughs> you're a sneaky you're a sneaky guy <laughs> you <like> that? <laughs> um, listen Wayne Gretzky was the greatest hockey player that ever played the game um, he's one of the smartest hockey players that ever played the game he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet I just don't know if coaching was what he was called to do. I think he would have been a great manager, like a GM or somebody that made trades or like, you know, was outside of the bench. But as a, as a coach, it's like a full time, all consuming job. And Wayne was being called away for commercials and his family lived in LA and sometimes he'd be at practice sometimes he wouldn't. And like, you know, he was a great, he's a great coach, but it just didn't, I didn't feel like it was like, maybe his strongest suit and as a person he was amazing i just don't know if he was um you know 
the, it would be like having Picasso try to teach me and you how to paint. Like, <laughs> good luck. He's just, he's just like, he's like, just do it. And you're like, um, okay, well, how do you, how do you do that? And he's like, I don't know, just do it. And you're like, oh, okay. And like, you know, um, it wasn't just Wayne's fault. I, I didn't seem to, I, he didn't know how to use me. He didn't know if I was a goal scorer. He didn't know if I was a fighter. He didn't know if I should get a, a lot of ice time or be a defensive specialist. He's kind of trying me all over the place. And I didn't play super great because uh, I wasn't sure what he wanted. And, um, you know, it just was a kind of weird situation. And the team kind of just did this little like thing. And, um, you know, I'm not taking anything away from his playing career or him as a person. He's a great dude and we're friends. But it's like, you know, I, I think he'd be an amazing GM or something or an operations manager or something, but maybe not a coach. Yeah. And I think, I think my, like, and, and at the end of the day, that's, I think that's a really good response because when you, you're so good at so many different things that your energy, it can't be everywhere. And I think uh, people listening again that, you know, you need to have fun in life, but you also need to put your full attention into what you're doing. And essentially it's pretty hard when you've got so many people wanting you in so many different directions. Yeah, totally. And he was like part owner of the team. And like, I mean, it was just, it was just, kind of it was weird like I didn't know if he didn't want to be there or if he if he felt like he had to be there or whatever and I think he was he was making pretty good money being the coach so like that's incentive to like stay on but like <laughs> I don't know yeah. our team was our team wasn't really performing that well so then he was getting you know sad and disappointed it's just like not a great not a great memory of my time no, in Phoenix. I, I understand that Dave. I completely understand that mate now last question is uh what legacy do you want to leave on the world like obviously you've got an amazing playing career and for those I've got the pleasure now of seeing you on video and I can see all your all your jerseys behind you and things like that but when it's all said and done what do you want to what do you want to be remembered for an ice hockey player <laughs> or the impact you've had on the world or what legacy do you want to leave? Yeah, that's such an excellent question. Um, in a short answer, I'd say that I want to know that my time on this earth made a difference in people and that I was an extraordinary ambassador of love and light and that I truly loved and cared about people. Like, that's it. That's lovely, mate. I think that that's what I'm here for. And I think that's partly what we're all here for. And, um, you know, on a longer answer, I remember being at my, this is a kind of a motivational story. So I'll tell it. So I could love it. Yeah, at, finish off with it. Yeah. So I'm at my dad's funeral and I have to speak and my heart is broken because he's my guy and, and he's my idol and I have to be the one to speak. And I knew he'd want it to be something positive. And my dad was a crazy guy. He like, was one of the first hang gliders in the world. He had like the seconds in Canada. So the hang gliders they had back in the day were just like, they would fall out of the sky. They're not made very well. And my dad was brave. He'd jump off the mountain. He's like, this is amazing. And like, he motorbiked, he barefoot water skied. He was like a cool dude, right? But so he always showed me that, that way. But what I didn't know was how many other young men he had done that for. And, uh, <laughs> sorry I don't mean to cry but um you know there was this guy that showed up at the funeral and when we opened up the microphones for people to share their thoughts or memories 
he grabbed it. He was like one of the first guys to grab it. And we're all looking around like, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. Do you? And like, nobody knew who he was. And he'd driven through the night, through the night, like, I don't know, eight or nine hours to get there because he heard my dad had passed and he wasn't going to miss his funeral. And we didn't really like make it public. We didn't want a lot of people there. So we kind of kept it to two or 300 people. And um, this guy drives there. And I don't know what he's going to say. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, many of, you, many of you don't know who I am. And I'm looking at my mom like, do you know who this guy is? And she's like, no. And uh, I guess he was like this young man, like 14 years old that never had a father. And um, somehow my dad had befriended him and uh, knew he needed a, like a father figure. And I didn't even know any of this. And um my dad started to do the hang gliding thing. And this little kid would just go hang out with the older adults and like drive the vehicle to go pick up the hang gliders wherever they landed. And like, he just wanted to be part of the crew because he didn't really have a dad, you know? And then he was telling me my dad would always encourage him like, hey, you, you could do this. And the guy's like, no freaking way. I'm not doing any of this. And, uh, you know, a year goes along and the kid doesn't do it or whatever. And then my dad, one day he's like, He's like, why don't I just hold the nose of the hang glider and just let you feel how it floats. Like just, I'll hold it and the wind will blow it on the top of the mountain. I'll just hold it and you can feel yourself like just be free and put your legs back and everything. So the kid like trust my dad and he's like, okay. And my dad's like, you wanna go? Like we can go right now. I'll just like let you go and off the mountain. And the kid's like, no, no. And my dad's like, you could do this. He's like screaming in the guy's face. The guy's like, F you, no, I can't. And my dad's like, you can do this. And this kid's trying to get out of this hang glider, right? And he went to shove it at my dad like this to like get him to let go. And my dad just stepped out of the way. And the guy just went off. And he's floating on the hang glider. And he said he was full of rage at first, then fear. And then he felt the most free he's ever felt in his entire life. Wow. And he had this beautiful hang gliding ride. He went down and he'd seen my dad do it enough times. They had this smooth landing and this perfect pasture. And he said, that moment changed my life and your dad believed more in me than he could see more in me than I could see in my own self. And he's like, that's who your dad was. And I truly believe like, that's what I try to be for people now is I see the potential and I try to bring it out of them. And irony to this story <laughs> is this young man is who's now a middle-aged man um, runs extreme sporting adventure <laughs> That's his business wow. in life. <laughs> he's got a mountain bike track. He's got these gliders. He's got this like parasail thing. Like that's all he ever does now. So that one moment in time changes kid's life. And he's like, thank you for sharing your dad with me. Wow. And I was like, whoa. And there were lineups of kids and young men saying the same thing about my dad that like he had impact without a stage. And I made a promise that day that I actually have a stage, so I was going to try to make him proud and continue on his legacy. Mate, so. that's that. I, <laughs> I don't really know where to finish that because if you're 
out there listening and you want a legacy, that is a legacy. Do you know what I mean? That that is an impact. You have affected so many people around the world. Well, um, guys listening, as I said, uh, free challenge, go to episode number 233 on the show notes. And Dave, thank you so much for being, you know, so honest and, and vulnerable today, mate. Um, I think people can really relate to your stories. Um, and not only that, I think they want to join your tribe, mate, because you're, you're an inspiration. So thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Dale. Great to uh, chat with you. You're, you're awesome. Keep doing good work.